Welcome into the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I'm Ethan Ryder today. I'm joined by Chris Cartman. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing really well, Ethan. How are you? I am doing pretty good as well. We are recording this podcast on the heels of some of the biggest news, if not the biggest news in college football in a while. A lot of teams moving around to different conferences or at least being agreed to move around to different conferences and specifically in the Pac-12 conference that we cover, UCLA and USC are agreed to move to the Big Ten. So this has a lot of implications on both the Pac-12 and other conferences across the country. But Chris, we cover ASU. So specifically talking about Arizona State, what does this mean for them? Uh, It means that uh, they are in a much worse position now than they were prior to this. Um, and, And that's Partly their fault, part you know, largely it's it's the conference leadership's fault as a whole. Um, the it's very clear at this point that the consolidation of conferences and this realignment is leading toward there being two really power conferences, if you will, super conferences, the SEC and the Big Ten, and everyone else is going to be pretty much inferior. Uh, they may remain. Uh, they may remain power conferences in, in, in name, potentially, depending on how things play out. But um, they're going to they, – they already were struggling to compete. Um, I think a lot of fans felt like in recent years that the Pac-12 didn't have much of a chance to play for a national championship, um, at least most of the teams in the conference anyway. and. Um, now they basically are going to have less of a chance, uh, maybe almost no chance, really, when you think about it. Um, the the uh, USC and UCLA realize that they're, they have the, the best media rights evaluation of the teams in the Pac-12, and yet the conference as a whole was distributing – uh, only around $20 million to each of its members in 2020, 2021 uh, fiscal year. Whereas it, the that amount was significantly more, maybe double even in the SEC or, or the Big Ten. And um, so you're talking about $20 million or something like that, which is actually going to uh, become even more of a discrepancy now that, now that this move is happening. And everybody knows that the, the, amount of money that's that's being spent now on college football is, is uh, extreme. The coaching salaries, the facilities spending, the phalanx of support staffing, um, all of that has doubled or, or maybe even tripled uh, over the last decade plus. Um, and it, it, we've been, we've called it an arms race really in college football, college athletics in, for a lot of years now. And I just think that the Pac-12 had no um, pragmatic perspective on these matters whatsoever. Um, and that that really includes um, the presidents and, and chancellors and everyone that, that, that put ASU in, into this predicament. Um, so there's a lot of different things that are going to continue to play out. But... This was a fatal blow to the Pac-12's standing as a Power Five 
conference that was, uh, you know, maybe not equal to the SEC or, or the Big Ten, but trying to be competitive uh, to those conferences. That basically ended um, with the departures of USC and UCLA, and, and uh, it will never, it will never ever uh, return. And, and speaking on this, the way it's kind of structured, in theory, it's a it's a long term effect, a long term impact with these only being agreed deals for 2024, 2025, 2026, years like that, a couple of years in advance. But what sort of initial kind of immediate impacts may we see from this kind of as, you know, a bounce off of what may actually be the long term impact? Right. So uh, the Pac-12 media rights deals up in 2024. Um, and the conference is now already going to start to, to, uh, explore that valuation, what it can get in the marketplace and all that. Uh, it seems like maybe they, sh- the conference should be trying to take big 12 teams from, uh, that conference to try to expand their footprint and their ability to monetize, um, it's going to be very difficult, I think. And maybe they're trying to lock in their value and have that be um, something that uh, keeps teams in the conference or helps them to be able to procure other teams. The Big 12, I think their media rights deal is not up until 2025, so they could be in limbo and they, they're, they're, um, they have sort of a secondary position in that, in that sort of respect, just in terms of the timetable for when this might actually happen. Um, in, when you look at, uh, I think everybody knows that the PAC 12 decided to not be on the, the direct TV years ago. Um, when they signed their, their, their last media rights deal, they retained all the, the ownership of their, uh, their network. And they decided that the carriage fees for what direct TV was asking was too low and would undercut their ability to um, to to uh, uh, achieve a higher price point per subscriber from the other providers that uh, were carrying the the Pac-12 network. So, you know, Dish, and then all of the sort of terrestrial uh, cable providers. And that what they said at the time was uh, that was going to prove to be uh, favorable for the Pac-12 because not only did they had they not sold out a percentage of their uh, their their network to an ESPN or Fox or whoever, but um, that they would be they would be in a much better negotiating position for a more lucrative contract in the next round of media rights negotiations, which was 2024. And this was Larry Scott, the former Pac-12 commissioner, who that was his big, huge, repetitively stated position on this issue. Uh, And then Michael Crow, ASU's president, uh, really sort of boastfully almost doubled down on that uh, as as late as 2019, when he told the Arizona Republic, uh, was quoted in the Arizona Republic as saying that uh, two or three years from now, people are going to look at it and wonder how the PAC 12 got ahead of them, ahead of their conference. That's a paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. And that just looks so bad in retrospect, like 
when I tweeted that out, a lot of people were, uh, you know, they were replying with old takes exposed, basically, um, because the Pac-12 didn't even get to the next round of media rights before it had its top two market value teams pilfered by the Big Ten. And one of the things that I've, I've, I've always said, Ethan, is in this uh, college sports realignment with the conferences, you're either the poacher or you're the poachie. There, the, nobody was, nobody's standing pat. Nobody's just going to hang out forever. And the Pac-12 went after, you know, they, they expanded, of course, with Colorado and Utah a decade ago. And uh, I think it was 2011. And um, they tried to go after Texas and Oklahoma as part of a four-team expansion, which was smart to do that. Uh, they, they either didn't offer enough as part of that uh, attempt, or they didn't realize that they needed to offer more, or whatever the case may be, but they, they weren't able to get that done. But then they, they decided to not do anything else subsequent to that. And I think pretty clearly um, the writing became not just on the wall, but on the wall in huge block letters when Texas and Oklahoma decided to leave the Big 12 for the SEC like about 11 months ago, 11, 12 months ago, um, that that was an indication that the Pac-12 was going to find itself in a battle with the Big 12 for survival, basically. Uh, at that point, I think it was pretty clear to me that the Big 10 was going to react in some way, you know, probably try to get Notre Dame and maybe some other schools. Um, the, the ACC has been in a, they, they signed their media rights deal more recently, and then they have a much longer commitment, I think until 2036. So they're a little bit more uh, um, difficult to acquire now for the SEC. I'm sure the SEC would like to be able to have Florida State, Miami, Clemson, maybe some other teams. Maybe the Big Ten would like to have some of the teams in that conference. Um, so, uh, but, you know, regardless, um, it's, it's just obvious at this point that everybody else is sort of the, in the scrap heap. And even the ACC teams are going to be disadvantaged from a financial standpoint if they decide to kind of hang in there for the long run. And maybe even between now and 2036, um, we could see that disparity increase sort of in the way that it increased in the big, in the Pac-12, pardon me, over the last decade or so when it became increasingly clear um, that the conference was in trouble. Yeah. And I think when something kind of as big of this happens, which is clearly not good for the Pac-12 conference. The next thing people kind of want to do is, well, who or, or what is to blame for so, said thing happening? So you already said one of the names that's been kind of flying around, which is Larry Scott. People have also talked about maybe the different presidents of the schools and the conference. And then some people have even kind of thrown around the fact that, you know, Pac-12 fans maybe haven't been as passionate as other conferences, which is leading to kind of less money coming in for those schools and makes it harder to compete. But from your point of view, what do you think about just kind of who or what is to blame for this? Right. So, uh, for people who have seen the movie Rounders, uh, there's a, a line there. I, I'm going to try to get it right, but basically, 
if you're sitting at a poker table and you don't know who the sucker is in the first half hour, you're probably the sucker, right? And what I would say is that this whole thing is like a game of cards where uh, the Pac-12 has uh, a worse hand, right, than some of these other conferences, and they're the sucker at the table, right? So, because they didn't really realize that all this was going to happen. So what, what the Pac-12 needed was somebody who had that, that foresight to understand like this, this sort of prescient uh, understanding of what was going to happen with the future of college football over the following 10 years and then be able to, uh, to orient toward that with the, the moves in the conference. But instead, uh, you know, that's how you can kind of outplay your bad hand. Because, yes, the Pac-12 has a bad hand. We know, I mean, as I said earlier, they, they weren't able to get as much money from DirecTV, which led to them not being on DirecTV. That never, that never was a problem in the other areas of the country where uh, football is a lot more of a religious experience to, uh, it's just a cultural importance in the South and even in like the Big Ten. Uh, and, and the Pac-12 just doesn't, didn't have that. The fan base didn't really support that. Um, but to my view, uh, the only way that you can really counterbalance that is by try to habitualize your fans uh, that you do have to get them to be ambassadors to try to grow your audience, right? And so in retrospect, not being on the Pac-12 probably led to fewer people caring as much about the conference. Um, and it certainly didn't increase the amount of people who were passionate about, about uh, football in the Pac-12. So, so, you know, yes, fans are kind of to blame, uh, but that's the hand that the conference presidents, chancellors, and commissioner, they're dealt with. And then they have to be able to do the most they can with that and clearly, in retrospect, they failed because they didn't even get to the second media rights deal that they said was going to be a game changer for them, right? And Michael Crow was like, uh, and others were very supportive of Larry Scott as well. But Michael Crow was like one of the most vocally supportive of Larry Scott and about this sort of, um, you know, this this uh, agenda that they had uh, within the conference and what they were trying to do, and he you know, spoke really specifically about the media rights, future landscape and, and all these things. And it just looks, you really couldn't be more wrong in retrospect. And I, so I think that, and by the way, at the time that all this happened, I said, look, the, the understanding all of the media rights stuff and the carriage fees of the different uh, cable providers and satellite providers, that's difficult. And I don't know if they agreed to a much lower fee for the direct TV, whether that would undercut their ability to get money from the others and could that be a spiraling effect? I didn't know. I kind of initially was like, okay, I'm going to give you guys the benefit of the doubt because, you know, I'm not an expert in that, in that field, right? I, I have some expertise on ASU athletics and the PAC 12 from covering them so closely, but not on the sort of inner workings of media rights and, 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 contracts and all that kind of stuff. I, that's not my area. So I kind of initially gave them the benefit of the doubt. But then uh, more recently, it's seemed pretty clear that what 
they should have done probably was to try to get in the door with the with uh, Directv, so that they continued to engage their audience more directly, and then found other ways to try to boost football, which. Uh, you know, the, 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 one of the biggest issues as I see it in the Pac-12 and really at ASU specifically is they're, they're trying to do everything with less dollars than in other places, okay? And a good comparison for this is Clemson. Clemson has, uh, I want to say like six to eight fewer sports than ASU, maybe even more. And they... At one point in time, like not even that long ago, not even a decade ago, they had a, an equivalent, roughly equivalent uh, amount of, of revenue as ASU, okay? But they said, they decided, okay, football is the way by which we grow our overall ability to help service our athletic department. Success in football is how we do that. And so what they did was they paid Dabo Sweeney, their head coach, more money than anyone, any other team in the country at the time. And they, they had the biggest, best football building earlier than every, everybody, anybody else did. They have like a, like a, like a mini golf course and like, uh, like all kinds of crazy stuff. They got like a slide that's in the thing and an arcade and all these things. They were, they were on the cutting edge and they, they also were really probably among the first to understand the importance of digital media in and video uh, production in the, in the, in recruitment. So they were spending a lot more money uh, with their support staffing in football in recruiting and their uh, graphic arts and video production and with their facilities and with their coaching staff, all of those things as a percentage of their overall athletic department budget because they were like they realize which is just an undisputed fact that football generates a return on your investment okay and almost no other sports do like basketball a little bit maybe okay maybe maybe baseball possibly slightly right but every other sport loses money okay but in the pac-12 ray anderson i heard him on another podcast like a couple months ago he was saying that we're equally uh, proud and, uh, and we, it means equal to us, our Olympic sport success as our football success. Okay. And they added hockey and then they added women's sports because of Title IX as a result of that. And I've heard that Ray Anderson for, you know, as far back as like maybe seven, eight years ago, was talking about how ASU has one of the largest two or three uh, uh, enrollments in the country, and therefore it should have one of the largest uh, uh, student-athlete rep, uh, population. Like they should have, and they, you know, they were trying to compete with Stanford. That was Michael Crow's vision for ASU was Stanford has the most uh, national championships of any Pac-12 team. They're the highest in the Director's Cup typically. Uh, and then USC and UCLA are the next two. And by the way, uh, USC and UCLA make up 42% of all the, the national championships in the Pac-12. So when you call yourself the Conference of Champions, and then 42% of your championships walk out the door, I mean, those schools that earned that, right, it was still your conference, but now they've left, right? 
it, it, you have a little bit of egg on your face to try to continue to call yourself the conference of champions with a straight face, in my opinion, right? But when your goal is, as ASU's, uh, Crow and Ray Anderson, we want to expand our sports. We want to try to compete with the Stanfords of the world and uh, service all these athletes and sports that lose money. Well, like you can't do everything. Okay. So, so if you looked at the salaries of football coaches at ASU and the ability to retain football coaches at ASU, and then you looked at how many people work uh, as non on field staff at ASU in football versus Clemson and some of these other schools, they're not close. They're, they're, they're spending dramatically more money and, and um, that's, that would be understandable at places that have $30, $50 million more revenue. But, but the, the schools where football meant the most to them because they understood that they needed to service football at the highest level, like Clemson in the ACC. Doing so put them on a path to not only national championships, but then still being able to be coveted, right? They like anybody is still going to want Clemson in the, the, the SEC or the Big Ten, right? But now people probably aren't going to want Arizona State in the Big Ten, okay? But what, but ASU is in a a top 10, top 12 media market in the country, right? There's intrinsic value to ASU's location and its nexus to USC and UCLA historically in the Southwest. And Arizona is a top, uh, you know, like one of the best basketball programs in the country. Football, you know, one of the worst power fives, but, you know, in, in recent years. But basketball, that still has maybe some value. I don't know. But my point is, if they had been as committed as a Clemson to trying to be really good at football, coupled with the Pac-12 trying to stoke the passion of its fan base versus being like, okay, cool, like we're not going to be on DirecTV and uh, nobody has the Pac-12 network and, so you're not, and then we're not going to even, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be able to watch a lot of these marquee games, which is going to stifle the passion of your fan base. We don't know how it would have turned out. And that's why I'm saying that the Pac-12 had a worse hand than it was dealt at the poker table. But then they also were the, the sucker. And you know they're the sucker because they didn't do anything to try to give them, put themselves in a better position. And I was trying to tell people, on, and I've talked about this for a long time on The Devil Sanctuary and some of our podcasts and you know, some of our content, that, you know, uh, you can't not service football. <laughs> it's a business. Okay. I think that the, some of these conference leaders and even Larry Scott, they view this as like a, some philanthropic sort of thing. And it's not, it's cutthroat. And what's going to happen now is probably, you know, I don't have a, I don't have like a perfectly clear crystal ball because a lot of things are in flux, but probably Wherever ASU ends up, Pac-12, Big 12, they're going to, if not, uh, they're probably going to lose money in their media rights because they're, they're, now the Pac-12 is projected to be worth 25%, 30% less or 
I've even seen like 35% less or something like that. 38%, I think is what I saw. So now your 20 million goes maybe down to 15 million. Well, that's 5 million you don't have. And there's been a lot of reporting that because ASU decided, and this is, and they bragged about this, uh, the pandemic, it took a huge revenue hit, right? Uh, you didn't have uh, all these, the football revenue and all these, you know, they paid four games and all this stuff, right? Well, uh, they bragged that they didn't furlough any of their athletic department employees and that they didn't cut any sports. And hey, other places they furloughed and they cut sports. But then what, what ended up be, being the case was the university subsidized ASU's athletic department as much or more than any other Power Five program, tens of millions of dollars. Okay. Well, that that then becomes debt that has to be serviced or paid back. Or maybe not. Maybe they just decide, hey, no harm, no foul. But even if that's the case, okay, it still is an indication that your choices are not going to allow you to keep pace with everybody else. And the saddest part about it is that their agenda of trying to have a big tent and service the most student athletes and have more sports and all these things has been significantly harmed as a result of their inaction to expand, uh, their inaction to support football more seriously, and now the departures of USC and UCLA to what is likely the tune of a reduction of their revenue. And if you lose revenue and you're already being subsidized more than most other teams, uh, athletic departments in the country at the Power Five level, well, what ultimately does that lead to? It leads to the prospect of having to fire people, lay people off and cut sports, right? And so the point that I've always said is football is like the water that makes all the grass green in your athletic department, right? Green like money. And if you don't, if you, if you cut that off, if you cut off the water supply, things start to turn brown. And now ASU is going to be in a battle for not having things turn brown across their landscape, um, you know, which I guess ironically, they've turned a lot of their green into parking lots and structures and around the athletic department, some people would say. So, you know, maybe they preempted it. But, um, yeah, I think that kind of covers it re- reasonably thoroughly. And And just like one thing before we move on really quickly. I think you can't really talk about college athletics right now without talking about NIL. And there's been certain people that have criticized ASU on how they've gone about that front. Do you think any of this has to do with kind of an evolving landscape with NIL? Because most of this is kind of revolved around money and that sort of thing. Does NIL play any sort of of role in this kind of changing of where teams are in different conferences? Uh, It's obliquely related, I would say. It's It's not a direct uh you know thing but um you have other schools that they realize really quickly okay we need to set up some mechanism by which uh people can um you know businesses can create deal nil deals with our student athletes 
right? This was happening all across the country. And at the same time as that was happening, Ray Anderson is going on the radio locally and saying, yeah, we can't do anything with NIL. Well, what do you mean? Other schools, they just set up a marketplace. And you're saying that you can't have anything to do with NIL. And oh, by the way, this is coming on the heels of the football coach that you hired committing a bunch of NCAA violations during the dead period, which now has your school struggling to recruit uh, and retain players. And partly maybe the retention of players could have something to do with uh, NIL and ASU. Um, So look, you have to be creative. You have to think outside the box. You have to, uh, to figure out ways that you can, that you can do things that, uh, that service your student athletes permissibly. Right. But you can't not do those things while also having a bunch of stuff going on in your program, like coaches turning in other programs because you met with, uh, you know, recruits during the dead period and you didn't have a handle on that within your, you know, within your athletic department, you know? And again, I just want to say, I'm not sanctimonious at all about cheating in college athletics. Like that goes on everywhere. Okay. So it's not like I never have ever said, and you never will hear me say, oh, you know, these coaches should be fired because they were cheating. No, I think the coaches should be fired for their ineptitude with cheating. Right. Because look, uh, you know, if, if, if a recruit tells me that as a reporter that they bumped into a coach and, you know, they have a brief conversation during a period when there's not that only a hello is supposed to happen and not more than that, I don't really care about that. And, and, and because that happens everywhere. And if I see an analyst at ASU, uh, if I see Marvin Lewis or whatever, and he, you know, shouts something at a player that could be perceived as coaching a player, but he's not supposed to be a coach, I'm not going to go tweet about that. So it's not sanctimony, okay? We're not playing gotcha games trying to get ASU, right? But if you get caught cheating because you were really bad at it, that to me is more of a symptom of other problems that you have. Like, for instance, you're the most penalized Power 5 team in the country, and Jaden Daniels regress, you know, and then... Ray Anderson says that what we're going to have to do is we're going to have to be able to convince uh, football players that they're going to be developed better and have a better chance of getting drafted higher in the NFL. Uh, That's going to be our our model, quote unquote, moving forward. And then you have uh, Eric Gentry and Jermaine Lole and I think 10 out of your 16 four-star recruits over a three-class period all transfer out of your program. They've already rendered the verdict. They've rendered the verdict. You didn't do enough on NIL. You aren't developing your players enough that you're that the players themselves feel like there's a value add to staying versus departing for being part of higher profile programs and or NIL opportunities that you yourself weren't presenting because you didn't create the marketplace or you didn't. Uh, and another part of this is. Uh, how much booster engagement and outreach did you do at the highest level? How did you get those people motivated to and their businesses to do deals with your existing players, which is 
now totally allowed? No, I don't think so. If anything, I'm seeing that the highest echelon boosters of ASU under Todd Graham, uh, you know, the the the, uh, the 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 Kents of the world, the Butterfields of the world, um, you know, the people who 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 helped build the facilities that ASU now uses, I don't see those people are equivalent spending as much money or people equivalent to them spending as much money in support of ASU athletics. So, you know, ultimately I think that you have failed leadership in the PAC 12 and at ASU more specifically, which largely was the result of their inability to sort of look into the future and understand where things were headed and how they needed to make moves in anticipation of those things. And Ray Anderson is among the highest paid athletic directors in the Pac-12, I think in the country, actually. Well, what are you being paid to do, right? And also, what did he say when he when Todd Graham was fired? We expect to be top 15 in the country regularly in football and uh, top three in the Pac-12. Right. That's what he said. Well, you have to fund football such that it that it, it it enables that to happen. It doesn't just magically happen. You can't do everything. And by the way, had they been able to achieve what Ray Anderson said was the goals by funding football throughout his tenure, well, maybe they would be more attractive potentially to the Big Ten. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, it's all of these things combined that you had to be thinking about strategically. And they just uh, were sitting there with the worst hand and also having no idea how they were going to play it when the poker game started. With all of this going on, and we've gone through it pretty extensively now in terms of what's happening. But the next question that you kind of have to go to is where do we go from here? There's of course the possibility of a lot more changing from now when we're recording this podcast to when everything's said and done, of course, there's almost definitely going to be a lot of changes, but what are the options for kind of what could happen from now and then? And and what do they mean specifically for the PAC 12? Right. So I think it's pretty obvious that schools are going to do what they think is in their best interest. That's what USC and UCLA did, Texas and Oklahoma. That's what everybody's going to do. So they put out this um, statement saying that the, the remaining 10 schools are, you know, in agreement that they're committed to the conference and blah, blah, blah. It doesn't really mean much. Okay. Having said that, they could decide to stay. They could, uh, you know, Kliakoff, George Kliakoff, the commissioner, um, you know, one year into his job or whatever. I mean, uh, they've kind of already failed in the conference. They should have probably given him permission to try to expand. They didn't, whatever, water under the bridge. Um, but they, they, at this point, they kind of have to expand um, because if they don't expand, again, they're going to lose more teams. And even if they do expand, they could lose more teams. Um, like the big 12 is going to try to pull some of the PAC 12 teams. Like that's already ongoing, Like they, the big 12 cares about football. 
well, that they added BYU and uh, what are they, Houston and SMU or whatever. Hey, by the way, Houston and SMU, Dallas and, and Houston, TV markets, places where football matters a lot. You know, that's, I was saying previously a year ago, ASU should look at Houston and SMU. And then they got gobbled up by the Big 12. <clears throat> okay. So Texas Tech, Baylor, Oklahoma State, I don't know. But the Pac-12, if it, sta- if it stands pat, more schools are going to leave. Almost invariably. Like There's a report today, Colorado is, is, is leaning toward going back to the Big 12, where it already was. Well, you're not going to be left with much in the Pac-12. Like, you know, maybe you can be the conference that doesn't have football. Like, you can be like the, the, the Big East with no, you know, where they had no football or something. And that could become your new Pac-12, where it's like uh, Washington State and Oregon State and Cal and Stanford and whoever else wants to take part in that. You know, that they, that, that have their tier one academic uh, status that they revere so much that, you know, now in retrospect, looks like it cost them uh, by being so, so uh, adherent to. But um, one way or another, there ultimately probably isn't going to be a well-functioning Pac-12 and a well-functioning Big 12. Probably there's some merging of them in branded under one or the other. Then there's remnants who end up in some secondary conference, Mountain West or maybe some other conference. I don't know. Um, I personally think that staying with the Pac-12 would be a mistake for ASU because the the Big 12 has proven that it cares more about football and that more schools are probably apt to leave the Pac-12 um, you know, and benefit from the Big 12's uh, sort of geographical f- footprint where football matters a lot more. And um, but at the same time, I think it's kind of like, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a very small difference between the two, whether the Pac-12 adds a bunch of teams from the Big 12 or vice versa, I don't know. I think it's probably a little better if ASU goes to the Pac-12 with Arizona, Colorado, Utah, maybe maybe others, maybe Oregon, Washington, you know, I don't know. But um, it's not going to – It's at the end of the day, it's not going to dramatically change the, the, uh, the level that those schools are at from a football standpoint or from a financial standpoint. Uh, I do think that maybe it gives them a little bit more – a little bit of a better pathway to eventually getting invited to other conferences like the big 10 uh, seems like the big 10 currently is not going to definitely not going to consider, I shouldn't take definitely, but very unlikely to consider ASU, Arizona, Colorado, Utah, uh, maybe not even Oregon, Washington, Stanford at this point in time. It's like Notre Dame appears to be their a priority of theirs. Totally makes sense. They're additive from a financial standpoint. Um, I think that would put them in an, in an odd number of teams in their in their conference, which I don't know if that's something that, they, that could be an issue or not. But um, uh, no matter how you slice it, ASU and the Pac-12 are worse off financially. They're worse off 
Um, structurally, they're worse off in football uh, as a result of this. And I just don't see any way in which they're going to get any near-term next several years invitation into the, the Big Ten. Now, some people, not me, some people, Ethan, would say, this might be good for ASU. The, the, uh, everybody kind of knows Frank Cush is the most celebrated coach of all time in football at ASU. ASU was, you know, they were perennial powerhouses in the wet, in the whack at the time, Western Athletic Conference, before they were included into the Pac-12 in uh, 1978, I believe it was, you know, uh, 45-ish years ago. Um, and some people might, you know, I'm sure people have said to me, this might be good. Uh, maybe what happens is the ASU and other teams in the pack, they no longer worry about trying to compete with the Big Ten and the SEC. And instead, they they have some sort of a uh, allegiance that maybe exists with the Big 12 and maybe even the ACC and, and maybe even other schools where they, they play for their own, uh, uh, maybe they have their own playoff their own championship structure and ASU doesn't even worry about the, the, the big 10 and the SEC because there's no way that they're going to be able to compete with them. And even if maybe they got included somehow into the big 10, uh, maybe even then they wouldn't be able to compete. I think that's sort of very much disputable because the, the, they are, they have done well against big 10 teams like they're 10 and 0 maybe at home all time. And the style of play in the big 10 is, is, is different in the Midwest than it is in the Southwest. You could, you could get better athletes probably uh, on average, you know, not at like, not at Ohio state or maybe like, you know, like a couple of the best teams in the, in the big 10, but kind of at others, I think that you, you can, you know, so, um, you know, so there, I think there's, there's, you can make an argument that maybe ASU shouldn't even try to um, fight to, stay attached to the top upper echelon 40, you know, ish teams in, um, in the power five level and try to be part of the next tier of 40 teams or however many that it ends up being. Okay. Like that's cool. Like, yes, you would compete with more championships. Um, you'd win more football games. You could even be viewed as sort of like a dominant force in the Southwest because if people don't go to USC, UCLA, and they don't go to the Big Ten or the SEC, maybe they'd be more inclined to go to ASU. Now, you could be a feeder program, right? Because the NIL and other realities, you could still lose a lot of your best players who want to play up to the, the, the transfer to the Big Ten or SEC. So that's another issue to consider. But I do think ASU, you know, obviously would be better Um in, in terms of like its ability to win more games and stuff like that in a secondary conference situation, but would fans be comfortable with playing for the, you know, the non, you know, not the national championship, but for the next level championship. I, I don't know the answer to that. Um, but again, I would say that they're in this situation very clearly because they mismanaged things over the last decade pretty much across the board um, institutionally within the conference and then among the conference's leadership. You've said a couple of things now 
in terms of kind of best interest. That's it. Said, I've only said a couple things. You, I, I'm saying in the last couple, you know, couple minutes, you said it, things about ASU maybe wanting to leave the Pac-12. You talked about other teams as well, and you've talked about other people's opinions, like the one you just talked about in terms of them maybe playing at a lower tier and winning more football games. But in your opinion, ASU, other teams in the Pac-12, the way that kind of the field looks right now and the situation right now, what is the best interest for ASU and those other teams? Do they leave the Pac-12? Do they do something else? Is there a mix of some other ideas that people are saying? What do you think? Well, yeah, I, I, it's you know just to reiterate what I said. I think I think ASU is probably better served to leave for the Big Twelve. Um, the even if the Pac-12 does expand, uh, there's a good chance that some of the some of its remaining top members could eventually depart for the Big Ten. Um, and I just think that culturally and sort of philosophically, they just don't value football. Their lack of ability to value football significantly contributed to them being in this predicament. And so how do you all of a sudden have football mean more to you? Like that's something that's sort of like embedded in your fabric. And so I don't think that it's going to. I don't I don't think all of a sudden like, well, now we care a lot more about football and we're going to invest a lot more in football and we're going to cut other sports because we're going to prioritize football and all this stuff. And I don't think that's going to happen. Even if they did, I don't think it's going to matter much. At least in the Big Twelve, you're joining a, a, a you would be joining a, a conference where that from the top down matters more, and then maybe that shapes some of what you do in the future. Because you look at like Oklahoma State or whatever, they have like half as many sports as ASU or something, and they're really good at some of them. Like they got maybe the best golf team in the country, golf program. Like they're good at what they do, but they're just not trying to do everything, and. So I think ASU would be better served, you know, to stay, stay active, stay, stay moving, you know, align with a part of the country that cares more about football and, and all that. But as I said, though, either way, it's, it's not much difference at this point. Like they've, the, the, the die has been cast and you can't, you know, you just, you're not going to, there's no fix for this. The, the reality is the Pac 12 got a, a death blow as a result of this. And, and but gosh, that saying that they're surprised, really, they put out the, the initial statement that they were very surprised by this departure. Why? I, when I saw this news from John Wilner, USC, UCLA agreed to, they're looking at going to the Big Ten. I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. You're the poacher, you're the poachy. And the, the, the Pac-12 had been slipping for a lot of years. People knew it. USC and UCLA knew that. They're trying to still be competitive. And they left. There was other reporting. LA Times reported that UCLA was, gonna, was, was, was reaching a point where it was going to have a hard time uh, servicing all of its sports. Like maybe it was even going to have to cut sports because of being billion, millions of dollars in the red. And my point is that's where other schools are or will be probably as a result of this. So I just can't stress enough that um, maybe Michael Crow hired Ray Anderson because Ray Anderson would tell him the things that he wanted to hear. 
but so either Ray Anderson sort of was obsequious to to Michael Crow, or he just didn't know all of these things that people, a lot of just fans casually kind of figured out and knew. And the, the LSU commission, LSU um, athletic director said, like I read in 2011, that we're headed toward the potential for two super conferences named Fox and ESPN because it's TV that drives everything. So if that's what's said in 2011 by someone in the SEC, that's being like savvy about what's coming. And then Michael Crow in 2019, uh, people are going to be surprised in a few years when the Pac-12 is ahead of them, their conference. What? Like, and you could say it was the pandemic. The pandemic just accelerated and aggravated the reality of the situation on the ground. It didn't, it didn't wholly change anything. It just probably sped a lot of these things up. NIL probably sort of the same thing. But it was many years of bad decisions and inaction that put, that set a, a course for where we're now at. And I think a lot of fans who are really passionate in the Pac-12, they kind of saw this coming. Maybe not the, exactly the way that it happened, but they saw that the Pac-12 was headed for a dead-end street. And as you've talked about a lot so far in this podcast, this is not the greatest thing for the Pac-12, and a lot of stuff has already happened, and there's still a lot of possibility and probably definitely a possibility that things will be changing in the future as well, and we'll make sure to keep you up to date on all of what is happening and specifically how it is impacting Arizona State. Going a little bit more specifically, though, to ASU football for this podcast, that's all that we have uh, talking about all of the changes in college athletics and conferences and all of that. But when we talk about ASU football specifically, the preseason camp is only a few weeks away. We have tons of content to get you ready for ASU's preseason camp. We have player capsules that are being released. Some of them already have been released, so make sure to read up on those. We'll be grading every player at each position, so those will be coming out as well. And then every position is also going to be graded in position preview. So we'll have everything you need to be ready for the ASU preseason camp and ASU football season. So ASU's lost and added more players than in history. So we'll make sure that you can understand all of the changes that have been happening within ASU football. But for now, that has been it for the Sun Devil Source Report podcast. I've been Ethan Ryder, joined with Chris Cartman. We'll see you guys next time.